Well, all right. We will continue in Isaiah 53, so if you want to go ahead and find your place there, um, that's where we will be today. As we work our way through the book of Isaiah, this is uh, where Eric left off last week, and so we'll pick up uh, our verses this week. We're going to focus on verses 4 through 6. Um, but, of course, before we jump into that, just kind of want to uh, back up a little bit, kind of give a little bit of background to where we're at in case you haven't been here with us, um, or in case you're like me and you can't remember from week to week what we've talked about. Um, it's a good summary. Um, so in Isaiah, if we back up a little bit to uh, <clears throat> verse 13 in uh, Isaiah 52, just to kind of to, to remind us where we are, just kind of put it all in context again, I'm going to read these verses for us, and we'll talk a little bit about them uh, before we really get into Isaiah 53.4. Um, Isaiah 52.13, it says, Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. And now we know, uh, if you've been with us any amount of time, um, we talk about how Isaiah um, has these servant songs, and these servant songs are about um, what, who we know as Christ. At the time, they didn't know uh, who this was about. All they knew is it was about the good servant. And so we can just tell right away um, that this is not speaking about Israel the servant this is speaking about Christ the servant uh, because it says that his servant shall act wisely and be high and lifted up and exalted um, and so we automatically know that we are talking about the Messiah we're talking about Christ and we're not talking about the country Israel um, they were oftentimes referred to more as a disobedient servant not the obedient servant Continuing on, it says, as many, of you, uh, as many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. So shall you sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him, for that which is not being told them they see, and that which they have not heard they understand. Who has believed what he has heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. He had no form of majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hid their face, and he was despised, and we esteemed him not. And so that's kind of got us up to this point. So I want to talk about a few things um, in these verses before we really jump into uh, verse 4. And one, I have a, a quote here um, from the great theologian Eric Williams, if you guys know him. Um, he said that he was rejected by those who were blind and deaf to the mystery of the gospel, those to whom God had not revealed his arm, to them the servant was not desirable. And so that's kind of the picture we get. This servant that we're reading about, this servant that we're going to read about, um, at the time the reader's they, they didn't, or, or as the prophecy says, they didn't desire this guy. They didn't desire him. Um, they thought he was, he was stricken, that he was diseased. That he, this is not the guy that, that they uh, had any esteem for. Um, so they rejected him, and they rejected him because they were blind and deaf to the mystery of the gospel. They didn't know what was coming or what was taking place. Um, and, we, and we remember that back, uh, if you look back just a few verses um, and to me, this is really kind of key that we have to kind of carry this as we move on and we have to remember. Um, it says, who is believed and, and who has the, to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? 
And we have to remember that, man, it takes God to reveal truth to us. It takes God to reveal scripture to us. Um, and so they couldn't understand. Their eyes were blinded. Their ears were deafened to who this Messiah was. Um, they, they weren't able to understand that. And if we remember um, back when we started Isaiah, however many decades ago that was, in Isaiah 6, verses 9 through 10, when God said, hey, who should I send? And Isaiah said, hey, send me. I'll go. What did God tell him? He said, go and say to this people, keep on hearing but do not understand. Keep on seeing but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears. Sorry, hit the wrong button. Technology. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. And so we know even from Isaiah's beginning that God said, I'm going to tell you what to go say to these people, but they're not going to hear you. And they're not supposed to hear you. Um, this was God's plan. And we see that in, in Isaiah 6, 9. And it kind of made me think about some verses um, that I don't know. I, I don't know how long ago it's been I run across these verses. And it was one of those verses, I don't know if you guys ever do this or not, but sometimes you're reading your Bible and you come across a verse and it's like, whoa, I didn't know that was there. Like, it's kind of mind-blowing or eye-opening or whatever you want to call it. Um, I remember reading this verse a long time ago, and it was like, ah, oh, light bulb, come on. Um, and I'm going to share that with you. This is probably the only thing you're going to remember of this whole sermon, because this is like a rabbit trail, and that's always the best stuff, right? Um, turn, turn with me to the book of Luke, chapter 24. And I'm going to read verses 44 through 48. And this kind of goes hand in hand with what we're talking about here. Luke 24, 44. This was after Jesus was resurrected, right before he ascended back into heaven. And so he's um, talking to the apostles. It says, Then he said to them, These are my words I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer on the and on the third day rise from the dead. And that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You were witnesses to these things. And I don't know if you caught it or not, the verse that just really kind of jumped up and slapped me in, my, in the face. Um, verse 45. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And when I first read that, I was like, whoa, that's pretty amazing. Because how many times have you read through the Gospels and, you know, Jesus is talking to his apostles and he's like, hey, the Son of Man is going to be delivered up and killed and he's going to rise three days later. And they're like, I'm hungry, let's go fishing. <laughs> I mean, it, it wasn't clicking. You know, he would tell them this stuff and they were like, huh, okay, anyway. And they would go on. And there's so many times that Jesus would speak things and it's like they didn't get it. It's like, how could you not understand what he's saying? And I, I love, uh, I don't remember what verses it is, um, but, you know, somebody's like, hey, will you tell us plainly? Are you the Christ? Like, like he's been telling them the whole time, and, and they're begging him, just tell me plainly. And it's just so much going on. 
And we get to this verse, and it's like, then Christ allowed them to understand. He opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And I'm like, whoa, that's amazing. Like, this is why they couldn't understand. This is why when he said, I'm going to be delivered up and killed, they didn't get it because they weren't supposed to at that time. But under, understanding was coming. And so I, I kind of always go back to this, like when we, when we talk about Isaiah, because there's so much that, that is being prophesied by Isaiah, or God through Isaiah, um, to the country of Israel, and they're just not getting it. But it goes back to the, the scriptures we read. To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Like, it takes that work of God. And Eric talked about that a few weeks ago. Man, it takes God to reveal himself. It takes God to show us scripture. It takes God to open our eyes, to give us understanding. Because there's many people in this world that are not believers, that they can study those scriptures, and they don't get what we get out of it. They see it as foolishness. This is not making sense. It's just full of contradictions. Nothing goes together. But they're looking at it through human eyes. God hasn't given them understanding. And so today, it's, it's my prayer that when we talk about these verses, when we move to verse 4 and 4 through 6 and we talk about it, man, God gives us understanding. Open our eyes to what it is you have to say. Open our eyes to who the Messiah is. Open our eyes to what he's done. That's my prayer reveal the arm of the Lord to us. Show us the work he's done. Let us see it. That's, that's what I'm hoping today. Um, and man, as, I, as I've been preparing for this, uh, you know, at first when we were, we were going through Isaiah and then Eric was talking about, you know, us, you know, taking some turns and being able to preach through Isaiah. Of course, you know, a little hesitant. It's like, oh, I'm not real familiar with all this Old Testament like I am the new. Like, it's a little bit uneasy, you know, but I always thought, man, I'd like to preach out of Isaiah 53 because if you're a believer, like Isaiah 53 is the chapter. Like this is what everything revolves around. This is the chapter everybody knows. But then when he told me I got to preach from it, I was like, I don't know if I really want to preach those verses. <laughs> like, like those are too good. Um, I don't want to mess this one up because, man, these are like, these are like the best verses probably in all the Old Testament. This is the sacrifice that Christ made being prophesied to us. This is who the Messiah is. And it's like, man, I don't want to mess that up. But then I remembered to whom has the arm of the Lord been shown? Like, it's not me. It doesn't matter if I preach this terrible or if I preach this great. If the Lord doesn't reveal truth to you, if he doesn't give you understanding, what I say doesn't matter. And that brought me a lot of comfort, believe me. Um, at least that's what I'm telling myself. Uh, so anyway, uh, verse 4, Isaiah 53, verse 4. We'll read verses 4 through 6, and then we'll kind of talk about them a little bit. And hopefully we won't be here all day. Um, again, these are some verses that they can be extremely deep. You can study these for a long time, and you can pull a lot out of them. And there's so much that you can get out of them, but they can also be extremely simple. They can be self-explanatory. And so my hope is like we're going to land somewhere in the middle. Like I'm not going to do a deep dive that we're going to be here for hours, um, but at the same time I don't want to just brush by them because they're so important. Um, so hopefully we can, we can glean some truth out of these, kind of get a little better understanding of what God is saying here. So verse 4, 
Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was a chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So that's it. Those are our verses for the day. Um, so I want to look at a few words here. Um, hopefully, like I say, hopefully this will give us a little bit more meaning, a little bit more understanding of, of what's being revealed through these, uh, through these verses. So we'll kind of look at some words, look at some definitions, kind of look at where they're, uh, maybe where they're used, and then hopefully at the end of this thing we can bring it all together um, and have an understanding of, of who this is talking about and what the Messiah has done for us. So the first word I want to look at is the word um, born. He says, surely he has borne our griefs. Um, I don't know anything about Hebrew. I don't really know anything about Greek. Um, but some people do, and they tell me the, the word for this is uh, NASA or Nassau. I don't, I don't know if I'm saying it right or not. But anyway, there is a Hebrew word for that, and it sounds something like that, okay? Um, but this word, this Hebrew word, is used a lot throughout the book of Leviticus, which we know um, has a lot to do with sacrifice. And so this is kind of a sac this is sacrificial uh, language. And so I just want to go back and read, um, read just a couple of verses out of Leviticus for us. And you don't have to turn here if you don't want to. Um, you can just take my word for it, because it's not going to be on the screen. I'm not that good. Um, this is Leviticus 5, verses 17 through 19. And again, this is all referencing um, the bearing of sin or the bearing of iniquity. This word born, that's kind of what that means. Um, Leviticus 5, 17, it says, If anyone sins, doing any of the things that by the Lord's commandment ought not be done, though he did not know it, then he realizes his guilt, he shall bear his iniquity. And that word bear is the word um, Nassau or Nassau. This is the word that, that we're seeing here is the word born. It's the same thing. He will bear his iniquity. He shall bring to the uh, priest a ram without blemish out of the flock or its equivalent for a guilt offering. The priest shall make atonement for him for the mistake that he made unintentionally, and he shall be forgiven. It is a guilt offering. He has indeed incurred guilt before the Lord. And so this word, again, it's using um, somebody's sinned against the Lord, and he's bearing his iniquity. He's carrying it upon himself, and, and the instruction is um, bring a ram and let, this, let the weight, let the bearing of that sin go to the ram and be the sacrifice. Kind of the, the whole purpose of the sacrificial system um, is so that men didn't carry their own sin. They passed it along to an animal, and the animal was sacrificed. Um, as imperfect as that was, not to jump ahead, but Christ was the perfect sacrifice. We know that. Um, he carried the weight upon himself, was sacrificed once for the sins of all time. Um, but that wasn't the way with animals. With animals, they were sacrificed, and it had to be done over and over and over because that wasn't a perfect sacrifice. Um, <coughs> so anyway, that's kind of where that word come from. Um, the word carried here, he says he bore our griefs and he carried our sorrows. Um, this word is sabal, and it's not really use the same way as um, the word born, but it also kind of means bear. Um, but it's used more 
not as bearing sin or carrying sin, but more of, um, I guess, kind of the guilt or the consequences that come with that, um, if that makes any sense. So I, I want to read out of the book of Lamentations. This is going to be several verses. You can turn there if you want to. <coughs> Lamentations 5, verses 1 through 17. And again, in, in light of, of seeing this as this good servant carrying our sorrows, well, why do we have sorrows? We have sorrows because of our sin. That's why we have sorrows. And, <coughs> sorry, this is kind of the way this word is used here in the book of Lamentations. Um, Lamentations 5, verses 1 through 17 and just kind of get the picture in your mind of the sorrow that the writer of this book has. It says, Remember, O Lord, what has befallen us. Look and see our disgrace. Our inheritance has been turned over to strangers, our homes to foreigners. We have become orphans, fatherless. Our mothers are like widows. We must pay for the water we drink, and the wood we get must be bought. Our pursuers are at our necks. We are weary. We're given no rest. We have given the hand to Egypt and to Assyria to get bread enough. Pay attention to this verse. Our fathers sin and are no more, and we bear their iniquities. That word bear is sabal. They're bearing the iniquities of their fathers' sins. Slaves rule over us. There is none to deliver us from their hand. We get our bread at the peril of our lives because of the sword in the wilderness. Our skin is hot as an oven with the burning of heat of famine. Women are raped in Zion, young women in the towns of Judah. Princes are hung up by their hands. No respect is shown to the elders. Young men are compelled to grind at the mill, and boys stagger under the loads of wood. Old men have left the city gate, and young men their music. The joy of our hearts have ceased. Our dancing has been turned to mourning. The crown has fallen from our head. Woe to us, for we have sinned. For this, our heart has become sick. For those things, our eyes have grown dim. Man, that sounds terrible. But that's kind of the picture. I mean, they're carrying the, the, the weight of the sins of their father, and they're in this horrible situation. And that's kind of what we did to the Messiah. He's carrying our sorrows, our sorrows for sin. Um, that's kind of the language that's being used here. And actually, um, the, this verse, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, was actually quoted in the book of Matthew. And I'm going to read that for you. This is Matthew 8, verses 14 through 17. It says, when, Je when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying, lying sick with a fever, and he touched her hand, and the fever left her. And she rose and began to serve him. And that evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out their spirits with the word and healed all those who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. <coughs> he took our illnesses and bore our diseases. <clears throat> that is the quote from 
Isaiah 53, 4. Um, and if you think about it, well, it sounds a little different. I mean, here he, he took our illnesses and bore our diseases. And over in Isaiah, it says, surely he bore our griefs and carried our sorrows. And to me, it's like, well, that sounds similar, but not the same. Um, but if you think about it, like, where do illnesses and diseases come from? They're the result of sin. That's why I'm coughing, is because of sin. Um, that's why people are sick. That's why people die. It's because of sin. It's the result of sin. And here in Isaiah, we see and Christ is carrying that. He's carrying that suffering for us. He's carrying that sorrow. He's carrying that grief. These illnesses and diseases, um, he's carrying that for us. And it's kind of an amazing thing um, that we talk about him, him carrying sin, but also just the grief that comes with sin. And sometimes I kind of think about that, and it's like, how is it as a believer that we can sin? And I mean, yeah, we're sorrowful for it. We're, we, we have grief for it. But we're not like the guy in Lamentations where because of our sin, I mean, we're living in this horrible, horrible oppression where we're slaves and everything's taken from us. And it's like, why is that? I mean, we should be, right? Um, I kind of feel like we should be, but but we're not. It's some, and, and I kind of go back to this. It's like, man, we don't get what we deserve for sin. Like Christ is carrying that for us. The griefs that we have, man, he, he's took it upon himself. Um, yeah, I mean, we're, we're sorrowful for our sins, but not like we could be. I mean, it could be so much worse. And praise the Lord that it's not. But then it goes on, it says, Yet we esteem him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. And it's kind of interesting because, again, if we go back and we look at who's talking here, um, it says we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted and so again this is kind of going back to who this is written to um, it, is, it didn't say that God um, is the one who, is, who esteemed the servant stricken but it was us so, and so it's kind of ironic that we sin our griefs and sorrows are placed upon the Lord he's carrying that for us and then we look at him as if those are his sins and we're saying, oh, you're stricken by God. It's such, a, it's such an irony because that, that's exactly what the text is saying. That's the way that it was viewed. Like Christ did this work and then people looked at him and was like, oh, you're being punished by God for your sins. Well, those weren't his sins. Those were yours. And he's carrying those. And in turn, we turn around and look at him and say, Man, poor you. Um, it's such an ironic turn. He takes our griefs and sorrows upon himself because of our sin, and in turn, we're disgusted by him. We see him as disease and curse, not qualified to be a pleasing sacrifice to God. And we know through, um, especially in Jesus' time, with the Pharisees and things, I think about uh, a leper, and you guys know if you know anything much about New Testament, like a leper couldn't go in the temple and worship. He was unclean. He couldn't be around people. Um, that's kind of the way we, it, the, the wording is here, that's kind of the way we look at the Messiah. He's unclean. You're not even worthy to go worship the Lord, let alone be a sacrifice. 
Like, how could you be a perfect sacrifice when you're this unclean? You're diseased. You're stricken. Um, but really, that was us. And he just took it on himself. One more quote from the great theologian Eric. He said, while the servant was carrying the griefs and sorrows of the people, the people looked upon the servant as if he had displeased Yahweh rather than serving him faithfully. And I think that's a good way to sum that up. And when it talks about, about him being stricken, smitten, and afflicted, um, again, this is going back to God's judgment, and more specifically, his judgment on sin. And so this is, this is the way we see him. We see him as being judged by God because of sin, but we don't realize that it's because of our sin and not his. And so he's done these things for us, and, and we've kind of turned him. We don't want to have anything to do with him. Um, I mean, I think that's such a good picture. You know, if we go back and we look at um, Israel as a nation, that's such a good way that, that they viewed Christ when he was there. He was there in the flesh. And they didn't esteem him. They, they actually, they killed him um, because they didn't like what he had to say. They didn't think he was who he said he was. They didn't think he was the son of God. They didn't think he was there um, to be their Messiah. And so they esteemed him stricken, smitten by God. You, you remember when he was um, casting out demons and somebody said, oh, the only reason you cast out demons is by the power of whatever his name was, Beelzebul or whatever. It's basically Satan. You're using a demon to cast out a demon. Um, it's crazy. Like, that was the way they viewed him. Like, God has nothing to do with you. You're just, you're just weird, and we don't like you. Um, and we can kind of see how, how that's playing out here. But then we go to verse 5, and it says, But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was a chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. And so, again, here's the interesting thing. Um, there's a lot of, of language here with um, him. Him and our. Him and our. Um, he was the one that was pierced, but it's for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. He had the chastisement. It brought us peace. And so you can kind of see there's a lot of this language going on back and forth of, this is what happened to him, but it was all because of us, or it was for us. And so these things were happening for the good servant, but we were the recipient or the cause of these things that were happening. Um, and, so, and so you can see the two parties at play here. You have the good servant, and then you've got basically us. Um, it's kind of interesting, the word pierced, um, it literally means pierced. There's a new one. That hardly ever happens, right? Um, it always means something else, uh, but it literally does mean pierced. And so, and so the interesting thing with that is um, if, if Israel was to see this as uh, a sacrifice for them, okay, the good servant's coming and he's doing these things for you, this word would kind of throw them off a little bit because why is the good servant pierced? Like that doesn't really make sense. Um, because if you think about Israel, like what was their what was their method of capital punishment? What was their method of this person deserves death, and so we're going to kill him? Well, throughout the Old Testament, it was stoning. They would stone the guy, and so you drag him out in the streets and you 
throw rocks at him until he dies. Um, but here it says he was pierced for our transgressions. And so to them, like, okay, well, that doesn't make sense. Why was he pierced? Um, he should have been stoned. He should have been stoned for our transgressions, but that's not what it says. Um, and you can't even translate it to mean that. It literally means he was pierced. Um, and we see that if you, if you turn to the book of John, we talk about uh, the scene unfolding at his crucifixion. <clears throat> and I really feel like in these verses that John was very intentional with what he wrote with um, Isaiah 53 in mind. John 19, starting at verse 33. It says, but when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. He who saw it has borne witness. This is John. He who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true, and he knows that he's telling the truth, that you also may believe. I think he was thinking about this verse. I saw him pierced. I saw him pierced. Blood and water came pouring out of his side. Isaiah said he's going to be pierced. It happened. He, he said, my testimony is true, and I say this so that you believe. And then he goes on, he says, these things took place that Scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And again, another Scripture says they will look on him who they have pierced. And so again, even in Christ's death, prophecy is fulfilled. Because if, if you know, if you, if you backed up, what happened to the thieves beside him? They were hanging there still alive. The Roman soldiers came and broke their, their legs so they would die. But that didn't happen to Christ because he was already dead. And so again, fulfilling scripture, not one of his bones was broken. If he had been alive, they'd have broke his legs and that scripture would have never been fulfilled. And neither would the, the scripture that they look on him who was pierced or that he was pierced for our transgressions. But as it was, even in his death, prophecies fulfilled that he was pierced in his side and it was for our transgressions um, the word crushed literally just means to crush to beat down to oppress um, chastisement speaks of the father's uh, father's discipline um, how the chastisement that Christ took on himself it brings us into that relationship with God it brings us peace um, the word wounds, it could also mean the word stripes, and we think about automatically um, his beating, that um, he was tied down and he was whipped, and how he even survived that flogging, like, I don't even know, um, but he was whipped for that, and so that kind of takes your mind to that. Um, the word transgressions here, transgressions and iniquities, and so sometimes I always kind of think about that. It's like, okay, well, he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. That's kind of the same thing, right? I always kind of think about that. Um, but we can kind of look at these words as, as two different acts of sinning. Um, a transgression is an act of disobedience, and an, an iniquity is an act of rebellion. And so you've kind of got on one hand not being obedient to God, not doing what God has commanded, and then on the other hand, willfully neglecting what God has said and doing what he said not to do. And so you're either not doing what you're supposed to or you're doing what you're not supposed to. 
sins and, or transgressions and iniquities. It kind of covers it all. Um, and we're guilty of it all, especially the acts of rebellion. We're really good at that. But this whole thing, and, and we'll talk a little bit more about this, but again, the language, that he was the one that was pierced. He was the one that was crushed. It was for our transgressions, for our iniquities. Um, the word that kept coming to mind is substitution. And that's kind of what this whole thing is talking about. That we've had a substitute. Someone to take our place. Because of our sins, that he took a, something upon himself. So we wouldn't have to. This whole thing speaks of of him being a substitute, him him taking a place for things that we we deserved. And I wanna I wanna read this, a couple more verses. Um, I really like to refer to a lot of verses because I'm not smart, but scripture is good. So we'll look at that. Um, Hebrews 10, starting at verse 11. says, and every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Exactly what Eric was talking about earlier, waiting from that time until his enemies shall be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit bears witness to us. For after saying, this is the covenant I will make with them, after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my law on their hearts and write them on their minds. And then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. And again, man, that's such a great picture of what's going on here that if we go back and we look at what was the Old Testament system, what was that like? Um, it was a sacrificial system. There was constantly having to be sacrifices made because of the sins of the people. Over and over and over and over again, and here in Hebrews, it says Christ made one sacrifice, and he made it for you, and he made it for all time. He made a sacrifice and sat down. The priests, they couldn't do that. They couldn't make one sacrifice to go sit down, because they had to make another one, and another one, and another one. But Christ, he made one. One sacrifice went and sat at the right hand of the Father until, as Eric talked about, the end of time. Because that one sacrifice was good enough. And he did it for us. There, there's, no, there's now no longer any offering for sin. I mean, what else are you going to offer? When you sin, what else are you going to offer God? Like, there's nothing you can offer God. He's satisfied by pouring out his wrath on his son. That satisfied our payment. There's nothing left to be done. Um, <coughs> it says that by, um, or upon him the chastisement, it brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. And so just look at these real quick. Um, Romans 5.1 talks about this peace that we have. So what does that peace look like? Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through 
our Lord Jesus Christ. That peace that he's talking about, this is the peace we have with God. It didn't just bring us like a happy, peaceful life. It brought us peace with the one whom we've sinned against. It brought us peace with the judge. Like there's now nothing else to be offered because now we have peace with God. And that come through the chastisement of Christ. <coughs> and it says, with his wounds we are healed. Um, 1 Peter 2, verses 22 through 25, he mentions this same thing. Um, he actually quotes this part of uh, verse 5 in, in 1 Peter 2, 22 through 25. It says, he committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. And when he suffered, he did not threaten. But continued entrusting himself to the one who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. But here's why he did it. That we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but now have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your soul. And so it's kind of interesting because right in the middle of, of Christ boring our sins so that we may die to sin and live to righteousness, he says, by his wounds you are healed. And then we were strand like sheep, but now we've returned to the shepherd. We've returned to the overseer. Um, and the thing I find interesting about that is there's a lot of people, um, maybe other denominations or whatever, that they look at this verse and they say this is the reason that we can heal you of your disease is because the Bible says that by his stripes or by his wounds you've been healed and I think it's such a such a huge misuse of that verse because in some people's minds like the reason Christ suffered was so that you could be healed of your bad back and I'm like that makes no sense but that's the way some people look at this verse. Some people look at it as, well, look, it says right here that by his wounds we are healed. And so therefore, you know, give me some money and I'll heal you. Or whatever it is they do, I don't know what they do. Um, but that's some people's belief. And that's the way some people teaches this, is that it's because of his stripes that we can be healed. But if we go and we, we see how Peter understood that and how Peter quoted it, he said he bore his sins in his body that we might die to sin and live to righteousness for by his wounds we've been healed. Because we were straying like sheep but now we return to the shepherd and overseer of our soul. It has nothing to do with a physical healing. I mean that would, that would have made no sense that Christ would have came and took all this punishment and died so that we could physically be healed because he was physically healing people when he was alive. So what sense does it make that he had to die for that? No, he's talking about our spiritual healing. His chastisement that was brought upon him, it brought us peace. The wounds that he took, it brought us healing. All this is spiritual. All this is, is our sickness and our disease with the Father because of our sin. Because of our sin, we were the ones that were stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. We needed to be healed. We needed, that, we needed that relationship to be made right again. And it's by his wounds that that happened. It's by his death that that, that, that happened. 
that now we can die to sin, live to righteousness, because we were straying like sheep. But now, because of what Christ has done, we've been brought back. And man, that's such good news. And when we talk about verse 5 especially, because it talks about him being pierced for transgressions, crushed for iniquities, chastisement that brought us peace, his wounds we were healed, everything, all of this is going back to the crucifixion. This is what happened when Jesus went to the cross. All of these things took place because he went to the cross. And, and I think about, you know, sometimes, well, he died on a cross, but there were other guys that died on the cross, and, like, it didn't, that didn't have any effect on us. And so, yeah, I mean, his death was different. He was the son of God. He was perfect. He was sinless. You know, and, and, so, and so was it the actual punishment that brought us peace, or was it the obedience of Christ that brought us peace? Or was there something else even going on that we can't see? Um, and so I think about, like, what does the wrath of God really look like? And I don't know that I have a good answer for that. But I know that on the cross, he took it. Whatever all that was, beyond the physical punishment that he took and, and beyond laying his life down, man, God poured his wrath out. And I was thinking about um, some examples through Scripture where God poured out his wrath and how bad that looked. Um, go back to Noah. Man, men were wicked all the time. What did he do? He wiped them out. Except for a small group on a boat. He wiped out all of mankind. Sodom and Gomorrah. Does anybody know where that is on the map? It's not on a map. He wiped them off of the map. Um, what about Egypt? In the Passover, in the slaying of the firstborn of all of Egypt, if they didn't have the blood on their doorpost where the, the death angel would pass over. You think about these things, it's like, man, God's wrath is so, it's, it's awesome and mighty. And like, so what does the wrath for my sin look like? Whatever it looks like, Christ took that. When he was on the cross, like that was poured out on him. And he took all that. And, and I think sometimes words like, you know, being pierced or being wounded, it doesn't really capture what was happening there because I've been wounded before but man he was taking our wrath when he laid down his life and I, I kind of I want to read a couple more verses but I told you I like doing this Matthew 27 because to me this is this is weird and, and we never talk about this right when, when, when Christ is hanging on the cross Matthew 27 verse four, starting at verse 45 it says, now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. What? Like, why did that happen? What was going on, you know? And, and you think about, man, the, the light was gone. Like, like, was this when God was pouring out his wrath upon Christ? Why was it dark? That was weird. It says, and then the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, Eli. Lama Sabathani, which is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The Son of God felt forsaken by the Father. And it says some of the bystanders hearing it said, this man's calling Elijah. And one of them ran and took a sponge and filled, filled it with sour wine, put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. The other said, well, let's see if Elijah will come save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. 
And behold, the curtain was, or the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And the earth shook, and rocks were split, and tombs were opened. And many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy cities and appeared to many. What? That's, that's weird. And when the centurion and those who were with him kept watching over Jesus, and they saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, truly this was the Son of God. And so we think about, like, his crucifixion. Um, man, it was so much more than just taking a beating. Like, God was pouring out wrath upon his son because of our sin, because of our transgressions, our iniquity. He poured this wrath out upon him. And it was for us. And sometimes, man, that's just hard to wrap your mind around. There was a lot going on at the cross that Christ took upon himself, and he did that in our place. And so verse 6, it says, All we like sheep have gone astray, and we have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. After all of that, we're like sheep that just go astray. After all this that Christ has done, bearing our griefs, carrying our sorrows, pierced, um, crushed, chastisement, wounded, all we're like sheep, we just go astray. And man, that's exactly where God found us. We were all like sheep going astray. This didn't mean just a whole lot to us. You look at the nation of Israel, they're the same way. We're the same way. Um, Romans 3, verse 9, it tells us that. What then, are the Jews better off? No, not at all. We've already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. For it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, they've all become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is open grave, they use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asper under their lips, their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. In the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before them in their eyes. That's where God found us. Even after all of this, and this is where we were. This is who we were. We were like sheep. We had gone astray. If we didn't have a shepherd, we were just out there wandering around not caring about what Christ had done. But fortunately for us, we have verses such as Romans 5, 8. But God showed his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Ephesians 2, 1 through 6. And you were dead in the trespasses and the sins which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. That's who you were. Among them, we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love in which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together in Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated with him in the heavenly places in Jesus. And then Titus 3, 3 through 7, some of my favorite verses of all of Scripture. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, 
slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our day in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but because, or according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Christ Jesus our Savior. So that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Man, that's the good news of the gospel. Jesus came and died and suffered for our sins in our place on the cross, and we didn't care. We were living our lives to our own pleasure, but it's by the mercy of God that even though we were still rebellious, he still sent his son to die. He still loved us. It is by the mercy of God that the arm of his of the Lord has been revealed to us, that he has given us understanding of these things, that he's opened our eyes, he's opened our hearts, that we can see that and have faith that, yes, I believe Christ did this for me. He has given that understanding, and it's my prayer that he gives us all that understanding because it's still true, whether you believe it or not, it's true. That you live in open rebellion to God and he loves you anyway. And he sent your son, his son to die for your sins so that you wouldn't have to suffer the wrath of God. That's the substitution we're talking about. We deserve wrath, we get mercy. Christ doesn't deserve wrath, but he takes it all on himself. That's this great substitute that we talk about. And so when we talk about Isaiah 53 and we talk about the servant and how he's a good servant and how he suffered, we have to remember why. We have to understand why. Yes, he did these things, but why did he do them? He did them because of us, and he did them for us. And it's sad when people don't understand that. It's sad that you can have a country full of people that have this promise that their eyes have not been opened to, that they can't see this is not talking about you being a good servant. This is talking about Christ being a good servant. And this is talking about Christ taking what you, des what you deserve. That's what these passages are pointing to. And so I hope that you guys see that. And I hope it makes you love and appreciate Christ all the more, knowing what he did in your place. Knowing that he did it while you were rebellious, while, while you didn't care, while you didn't love, while you didn't seek, while you were just living life to your own pleasure, he did this anyway. And he did it to save us from our sin and save us from, our, from the wrath of the Father. And so I just say praise God. Praise God for his word. Praise God for this prophecy. Praise God for his son that fulfilled it and for giving us understanding and opening our eyes that we may see that. That we can see the arm of the Lord at work here. That we can see what he's done. And praise God that he's done that. Let's pray together.